Good morning, Sterling. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Mark. We're going to be continuing our journey through there. The book of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 41. That's Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 41. It goes as follows. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was going in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments amongst them, casting uh, lots for them to divide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by deriled him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that they may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemas sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that it was this way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the, the younger, and Joseph, and, and, Sal- and, and that, that name, <laughs> that one. Uh, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Jesus has been head off to be crucified, but we mustn't forget that he has gone through an incredible difficult time of torture already. He's had a brutal death so far, or a brutal beating so far. We remember in chapter 14 that he was being tried by the chief priests and scribes. They were uh, judging him and they would command the guards to blindfold him and they would beat him with blows. They would spit on him and mock him at that point. Then after blindfolding him and giving him a beating, they would take him to Pilate. And uh, Pilate would uh, buckle in to the crowd's demands of crucifying Jesus. Instead of just sending off Jesus to be crucified, he also, to satisfy the the crowd's desire to, to murder Christ, he also sends off Christ to be scourged. And a scourging, for those of us that might not know what it is, it was getting whipped. But it wasn't just your average whip with leather straps, but there would have been about 10 or 12 leather straps on each of these whips. 
and in, embedded into every single one of these leather straps was bone and metal. The idea was as the centurion or as the soldier would whip a victim, the, the whip would wrap around the body and those metal and bones would be embedded inside someone and as it pulled back, it would tear. It was to really destroy and tear apart the body. And some have suggested that maybe Jesus has been whipped 39 times in, in, in this beating, in the scourging, we, we're not sure. Um, the text doesn't tell us, uh, we suggest, some people suggest it's 39 because Jews would never go to 40, but Jesus isn't being scourged by the Jews, he's being scourged by the Romans who had no such pleasantries. They wouldn't stop at any point, they would stop when they wanted to. So Jesus could have been scourged five times, he could have scour been scourged 55 times. But what is clear from the text is that the brutal beating that Jesus has received is, 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 is quite extent because in the text that we read this morning, he is unable to carry his cross the distance that he should. He is too weak from the physical beating that he has received over the time that he cannot carry his cross like the others who were getting crucified could. And even later on in, in chapter 15, what we see is that Pilate himself, when they ask for his body to come down, is surprised that Jesus has died so quickly. His physical beating that he receives is extreme. Not only do they then scourge him to this extent, but they will bring him into the governor's headquarters. They will call in 600 soldiers, a, a balloton a of, of soldiers, uh, um, and, and they would um, come around and they would dress him up as king. They would put a purple cloak around him that he probably received from Herod, as we see in, in Luke 23, verse 11. He gives him a, a gorgeous cloak, and they probably put that on him. And then we see in Matthew 27, they give him a reed to represent a scepter. They dress him up as a king, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And four, 600 soldiers come around, and they spit on him. They mock him. They shout, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking him and making belittling Jesus and who he claimed to be. And so they do this, but then from there, what they do is they will take the reed and they start to strike him on the head that bears the crown of thorns. Jesus receives not only a beating by the Jewish guards, a scourging by them earlier, but also now he receives another one. And now from here, they will lead off him to be crucified, but I want to just point out some significance of what's happened so far. They have placed a crown of thorns on his head to mock and ridicule him as a king, but unintentionally, this is incredibly symbolic for us because Jesus is bearing a crown of thorns. He's, he's in many ways, it's symbolic for us that he's bearing the curse of Adam. All the way in Genesis chapter three, what we see is that when God curses Adam, he curses him and says that the ground is gonna now bear thorns and thistles. And so while the soldiers are trying to mock Christ, in many ways they're showing what he's gonna achieve on the cross, that he is going to bear the curse of Adam upon himself. They also have a reed that they will take that was representing his scepter and beat him with his own scepter. One of the commentators comments on this and says, a scepter was a, an image of authority, an authority to judge. It could also be used as a weapon, which they do on Jesus. In many ways, this is shown what Jesus is gonna do on the cross, that Jesus' own authority, his own judgment will be placed upon himself. And instead of pouring out judgment on others, on us for what we have done, he himself will receive the blows of judgment. And so while they mock and ridicule Christ, it points 
wonderfully to what he is going to do on the cross. They will then lead Jesus out to be crucified with the others, and they will have to walk through the city. He would more likely have carried just the cross beam. The, the whole cross would have been too heavy, but the cross beam would have been manageable for people to carry, and Jesus would have carried it some distance before he was too weak and couldn't go any further. The Roman soldiers uh, wouldn't have carried it themselves. Why would they do that? Uh, but Jesus couldn't do it. They didn't want to, and so they had the authority to command a passerby to do it and to someone in the crowd to do it, and that just happened to be Simon of Cyrene. I just want to point out that when Mark talks about Simon of Cyrene, he, he goes and adds in an, an odd detail that he, he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Uh, it is more likely the same Rufus that is mentioned in Romans 16 verse 13. As, as Mark writes to a Roman audience, he is telling them about someone that they have connection to. They can go and check the facts that he is talking about when he comes around the crucifixion because Simon of Cyrene was there himself. And, and so Simon of Cyrene has to bear this cross for Jesus, and Jesus would have had to go further. And this, this walk would have not just been a quick little walk, it would have been a walk through the city, where the crowds would have mocked and ridiculed yet again. Again, Jesus would have been uh, abandoned and ridiculed by those he would have healed, those who were around him, those who had heard him teach. Suddenly, the, the ridicule comes from them as well. And during this point, someone, more likely woman, because it was there, the, normally the tradition of women to do this, comes and offers him wine with myrrh. This was an, a, a narcotic to, to prevent pain and suffering. It was something to dull the senses, to dull the, the, the pain that he was experiencing, but Jesus will refuse it. He says no to it because Jesus chooses in full consciousness to bear the fullness of the suffering that was appointed him on our behalf. He no way cops out of the suffering that was meant to come his way on our behalf. And then they will take him and he will arrive at Golgotha and it was time to crucify him and what they would do to the victims is they would strip them naked. Now that is hard to swallow but they would strip Christ naked. Now there is there's a possibility that he would have had a loincloth around him. For Jewish consciousness, this would have been too much. Their sensitivity toward uh, nudity was strong, and so they wouldn't have wanted this. Romans had, couldn't care. But, it's, but we do see that sometimes Roman soldiers would bend towards the sensitivities of the Jews. So it's possible that Christ wore a, a loincloth around him, but for a, Jew, a Jewish man, that too would be seen as nakedness anyway. And I say that because I want you to know that Jesus' suffering was not just a suffering that was physical. I hope that you have seen so far that he was mocked and ridiculed. There's an incredible amount of shame. To, for us to be exposed like that in public would be shameful and humiliating. Imagine the Holy God. For him to now be seen like this before everyone was humiliating. But the second reason why this is important and, and why it needed to be mentioned was, again, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they noticed they are naked and they're ashamed. And yet again, on the cross, Christ bears their curse and their shame. And they would have stripped him of his clothes, and, and we see in, in the text, Jesus had a, a, a one-piece cloth which was quite rare, and they, they would go and cast lots for it to see who would get it. But they would have laid him down on, on the cross and they would have put nails into his wrists and into his side. 
They would have stretched the arms out wide. Sometimes that would dislocate the shoulders. Often the shoulders would be dislocated as they hung. But they would put it more likely into the wrists, somewhere between the fingertips and here, so more likely the wrists, because if in, into the hand it would probably tear through, but into the wrist it would stop. But also there's a major nerve that runs inside these veins, and so, uh, inside the wrist, and, and so as you hung, as the, you would uh, hang on the cross, it would rub up against a major nerve, causing incredible amounts of pain. But as the victim would hang on the cross, they would hang down and would expand the chest and expand the lungs. It made it incredibly difficult to breathe because the lungs would be expanded to be able to breathe. It was hard to exhale. And as your shoulders were more likely dislocated and as you hung there to be able to breathe, you had to push yourself up on the nails inside your feet in order that you might be able to exhale and then inhale. This was a perfected torture by the Romans. And so the victims would have to bob up and down in order to breathe. And later, often failing heart failure or suffocation would be part of what they would go through. But why did Jesus have to suffer like this? I mean, this morning, why did we have to hear about all the suffering? Some have suggested that Jesus' suffering was because he, he came to give us a good example of how to suffer. And I think, man, if you just have to listen to that, that seems a bit, a bit excessive, a bit it misses the point completely. The magnitude of what Jesus has did is missed completely if we land on that. What Jesus has come to do and what is happening through all the suffering is he is receiving our judgment. He is receiving judgment on our behalf for the sin of all mankind. And we see that in our text this morning. Something miraculous takes place. We see in Mark 15, verses 33, it says, and, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. There's darkness for three whole hours over the land of Israel. Now, people have tried to suggest that this darkness was a result of an eclipse, a solar eclipse. And unfortunately, that's just not possible. The Passover takes place during full moon. The, the moon and the sun are on completely opposite ends. It's just, it's not possible for a solar eclipse to happen. And even a solar eclipse, when it's at its peak, it only lasts for seven minutes, not three hours. This is a miraculous event that has take, been taken place that God has instilled and put in place. But why? Why has he made the darkness happen? Is it because creation couldn't watch its savior? Possibly, but there's more to it than that. In darkness, what, in scripture, what we see, darkness represents judgment. And, and, and the best example of this that we can see in scripture is all the way back in the book of Exodus. As, as the Isra Israelites are enslaved to Egypt, we, we see that God sends Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. He does so, they, he, uh, they do so, Pharaoh says no, he won't, so God starts to send plagues. And he sends plague after plague, and regardless of how severe the plagues get, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he says no to each and every single one. And the ninth plague is important for us, because what we see on the ninth plague is that the land goes dark for three days. Pitch black, couldn't see anything. The Egyptians were in utter darkness while the Israelites lived in light. It was a sign of the judgment that was to come in the 10th plague. And what was the 10th plague? The 10th plague was that the angel of death was going to fly over Egypt and kill every firstborn. And the way to escape this judgment was to slaughter a lamb, take its blood, rub its, rub its blood on the uh, doorpost and the lentils of the, of the house. And then when the angel of death would come, it would see the lamb's blood and it would 
Passover. That's why they're celebrating Passover. And he would pass over and you would be spared death and you would live. And it's important for us this morning, it's symbolic for us in our text, and it shows that Jesus is to receive the judgment of the world, but instead of the firstborn dying, God's only son would die. And, in, and instead of being covered by the blood of a lamb that we had sacrificed, the blood of God's lamb, Jesus, would cover us. And those who would be covered by his blood, those who would have the blood applied upon themselves, would pass through death and enter into life. What Jesus is going through is he is bearing the judgment of the world. He is bearing, friends, yours and my judgments. That's why he had to go through all of this. He had to experience the, this judgment upon himself. And, and what we see is in the moment on the cross, what happens is Jesus becomes the very embodiment of sin. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It's a famous verse. It says this. So it says, yeah, he, the father, made the one, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus on the cross bears our sin, and therefore he bears the judgment that we deserve. He has our sin imputed upon himself. It's a, it's a legal term that the judge would look upon Jesus and hold him guilty for the sins and crimes that you and I have committed. He would look upon him and give him the punishment. He would receive the punishment upon himself. He is held guilty. He takes our place. Jesus bears the wrath of the Father on our behalf. But the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was not only to remove our sin. What we see in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 21, it's more than that. The second part of it says this, so that in him, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so while our sin is laid upon Jesus, those who believe in Christ, what will happen is the righteousness of God will be placed upon us. And so when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin because that has been taken away, but what he will see is the righteousness of God upon us. And so what happens is we are able to come to, into the presence of God. Friends, you get into heaven not because you have earned righteousness, not because your righteousness is good enough, not because you are a good person, a good member of society. You get into heaven because your sin has been washed away by Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus has been placed upon you. And now you are worthy, not because of your works, but because of the work of Christ. You make it in by simply having faith. Believing in Christ is by faith and not by works that you get it in. And we see in our text that this moment happens on the cross, that Jesus receives our sin. It's clear in our text for us. We see what happens is Jesus cries out in agony. He shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus bears our sin, and the moment he bears our sin, the Father turns away from him. He abandons him. And I want you to notice that it's, it's a cry, it's, it's, there is anguish in the voice of Jesus. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we see Jesus in, 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 in crying out in, in anguish, in pain. Not that he hadn't. But the emphasis here for us is that while Jesus has suffered a brutal physical suffering, mentally and emotionally he has been abused. 
that the biggest pain that Jesus experiences is spiritually. Many have suffered physically like Christ, but no one has ever experienced the spiritual suffering that he has had. To be eternally right with the Father, to have at any point to be able to walk into his presence, to know the closeness of God, to, to know that he is near, to experience the fullness of his love at any moment, to access the fullness of his presence in prayer has always been what Christ has had as he's walked this worth, but now all of a sudden, as he bears your and my sin, the father disappears. This is what he was anguishing about in the garden of Gethsemane. This is why he shed blood, not the physical torture that was to come, but rather the anguish of not having God nearby. The father turns from Jesus. Jesus becomes forsaken friends so that you and I might become sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus bears our sin so that you and I might be forgiven. Jesus is forsaken to death so that you and I might inherit eternal life. He is forsaken and abandoned in order that you and I might be saved. And for those who would have faith in Jesus, we can enter now freely into the presence of God. And again, we see this in our text this morning quite clearly. For, for Mark is trying to make it plain to us. Maybe it's not as clear, but it's there. That we can now enter into the presence of God and it's shown by the temple curtain being torn. It says this in Mark 15 verse 38. It says, and the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is this important for us? You see, you've got to understand that in Jesus' day, the, the temple was the center of Jewish religion uh, as a whole. And it was the place where animal sacrifices were done for the payment of sins. It was the place uh, where they would come to worship God according to God's uh, law. And in, and in Hebrews 9 verses uh, 1 to 9, what we see is that there is a curtain that is placed inside the temple. And this curtain is there to separate the Holy of Holies, which was the earthly dwelling place of God, and the rest of the temple where men could go. It, was, it signified a separation for us that men and God were separated. The only person that could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And he couldn't go at any time. He could go once a year during Passover where he would go in and atone for the sins of Israel. And this wasn't just your average curtain either. This wasn't a curtain you have at home that you open and close. This curtain was 18, about 18 meters high. It was 10 centimeters thick according to Jewish tradition. That wasn't, that was, that wasn't a curtain that just tore by mistake. It was intentionally done that, that thick and that wide that you wouldn't by mistake take a wrong turn and walk into the Holy of Holies and if you did that you would die. So, so they've done that intentionally so that no one could go in on purpose, but yet this curtain is torn at the moment that Jesus dies. Why? Why does it happen? You see, the tearing at the veil dramatically happens at the death of Jesus in order to symbolize that through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been atoned for permanently that there is no more need for the sacrificial system of the high priest because there is a new high priest and his name is Jesus and he has shed his own blood for our sins. 
The tearing of the, the veil meant that God no longer dwelt in temples made by man as we see in the gospel, I mean in the book of Acts. But what now happens is for those who believe in Jesus, God will now dwell within us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit as we see in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. God will dwell within inside us. And there is also a symbolic nature of this temple being torn is that Christ himself has been torn for you and me. As, as we this morning had the communion bread, this is, your, this is the body broken for you, the breaking of Jesus, the ripping of his, his, his body as he was beaten and crucified is symbolic of the temple being torn. And as the high priest used to be able to go through the temple in order to get through uh, into the presence of God, now we come through the torn body. The, we come through Jesus into the presence of God. It is only through the sacrifice of Jesus in the person of Jesus that you and I now have access into the presence of God. Without anyone else, there's no, one, there's no access without Jesus. It is only through Jesus. Jesus says this in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me, he says. We see in, in Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20, it says this, it says, therefore, brothers, since we uh, have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Through his flesh. You and I are now able, through the sacrifice of Jesus, able to enter into the presence of God. And friends, I want to say to you that the salvation, this, this gift of being able to enter into the presence of God is for all people. What Jesus has been done, I can say with confidence, has been done for you today. And all can enter into the presence of God if you come through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. You can be saved through Jesus and Jesus alone. Again, we, we, we see that in our text that this way has been made open, not just for the Jew, but for all people. Immediately after the tearing of the curtain, what, what does Mark say? In verse 39, he gives the most unlikely salvation to take place, that of the centurion. He says this in 39, he says, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, it, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The centurion, I have no idea what, what involvement he had in Jesus' death. Whether he was part of the 600 who mocked and ridiculed him is, 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 is probably, there's a strong chance of that. The fact that he was there watching the death of Christ means he, he, there's a good chance he, he could have been overseeing those who crucified him, or even maybe he was one of them. We, we don't know, but what is clear is that he was able to see the death of Jesus. Like he has seen hundreds of others he would have overseen their, their crucifixions. So now he sees the death of Christ and the nature of Jesus' death, the nature of Christ and his character and how he behaves and how we act is so vastly different. He is convinced of what others have said this man claimed to be that he is the son of God this must be true that there is a there is this understanding that comes upon him when he sees the death of Jesus on the cross that this must be the son of God this must be the person who Jesus uh, who Jesus claimed to be you see Jesus wasn't the Messiah the Jews wanted Jesus wasn't the son of God the Romans wanted. 
but you don't know Jesus properly until you know Jesus dying on the cross. Friends, if Jesus is just a good moral teacher to you, I want to say you don't know who Jesus is. If Jesus is just a vending machine who will come and answer all your prayers when you need to have them answered, you don't know who Jesus is. It's only when you look upon Jesus upon the cross and see that he has died a brutal death but because of your sin and that he has, through the, his death, got your sins forgiven, that you will know Jesus is real he, and know who he is. And you might say this morning, I'm not good enough for this. But I want you to point back to the centurion and say, was he, was he a good man? Was he, he's, he has potentially been a part of the crucifixion of Christ. This is a man who, who didn't go to uh, the temple on, 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 on the Sabbath. This is, not a, this is not a man who obeyed the Sabbath. This is not a man who was nice to others, who was kind. This is, not a, this is a man who had been a part of many other killings. He, he was a horrible man, and yet, when he sees Christ on the cross, he sees this must be the Son of God. Friends, it's not about how good you are. It's never been about how good you are. It's been about how bad you are and the fact that Jesus has died for that. Can you see that this morning? Can you see that this morning? It's not about your goodness. It's not about how bad you are. Because on the cross, Christ bore your sin. Yes, nobody else in this room knows what sin you've committed. Maybe you're too ashamed and you wish you would be able to go back in time and change the things that you have done. Haven't we all done things that we wish we didn't do and we could go back and change them? But regardless of who you are, Jesus bore that sin and made it his own. And he bore the shame and made it his own. He made it his own, and so while no one else knows in this room what you have done, he does, and yet he still chose to die for you and bear it. He still chose to die for you and bear it. And, and, and so I wanna say to you, do you see that? Do you see Jesus as your savior? Do you? Well, friends, if you do, if you see that he has died for you on your sins, I wanna say that you have received the gift of faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been enlightened to something that you cannot come to terms by yourself, that he has shown you that Jesus is, is God. And if you have done that, what scripture tells us that we need to do, he says that we need to repent and be baptized. We see an example of that in the gospel of, uh, in, in, sorry, not the gospel, in, in the book of Acts, as Peter preaches powerfully, there's a, there's, there's this, uh, they are struck to the heart of what they've heard, and they go, what must we do in order to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. You need to, as you see Jesus with clarity that he is the one who has died for your sins, there's this need for you to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. But the be baptized part is an outward expression of an inward action. That's what baptism is. Uh, baptism was a, a public proclamation that you had surrendered your life to Jesus. And so this morning, what's important for you to do is not only to repent and ask God to forgive you of what you've done, but also as you see Jesus for who he is, the son of God who's died for your sins in the world, there's this giving of your life to him. There's this submitting to his kingship over your life to choose that you will live for him. You will live for him. And if you do that, friends, we are told we will be saved. That salvation comes no, through no works of your own. You don't need to go home and clean up your act a little more. 
but through Jesus and through Jesus alone and having faith you'll be saved. And, and may I say for us as Christians this morning that we have been given full access into the presence of God. Use it. Use it. R- run to him as often as you can. Go to him as often as you can. Howie this morning shared a, 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 a little scripture during uh, the worship about how we are able to come into the presence of God and he will not turn any away. Do you feel too ashamed of your sin that you've committed? Oh, Christ has forgiven it. You, uh, do never, oh, you, 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 can feel, you can feel the need to ask for forgiveness, but never feel so ashamed that you can't come into his presence because what Jesus has done for you on the cross is that he has taken away all that shame. He has taken away your sin so that you might have a permanent way into the presence of God. Grant to him. Enjoy him. Repent if you need to, but run into his presence as often as you can. Don't take light of this gift as a son and daughter to be able to have the ear of God. And, 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 and lastly, for the Christian this morning, there is this necessity for us to be like Simon of Cyrene, that we are to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We see this in Mark 8, verses 34. Jesus tells us, he says, calling the cross of his disciples to all who would follow him, essentially, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And while Simon's cross carrying was literal, it, it, it gives a great, it illustrates what Jesus' points. That as Christians, there will be points where suddenly, thrust upon us, out of nowhere, there will be a need to carry a cross. And that cross will be through the crowds that might ridicule and mock. It might be amongst those who have ill intention toward us and to persecute us. It might even, God forbid, but it might even be to the point of death. But but we as Christians who have had a savior who carried his cross for us, we too ought to carry our own. But the difference between us and Jesus is this, and I'll end off on this point, and it's important for us, so listen to me. The difference for Jesus and us is this, that on the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that you might not be forsaken, church. The Father turned his face away from Christ so that you who are in Jesus will never have the Father abandon you. And while you might walk through valleys of the shadow of death, while you might walk through hardships of life, while the cross that you carry will be tough and difficult, you, can, you do not have to fear why, because the good shepherd is always with you. He will never abandon you. You'll have always access to him. He will be right with you because on the cross, Christ paid for your sin. On the cross, Christ was forsaken so that you might always be connected to God. For in Jesus, you have a love from the Father that nothing can separate you from. But there is this call, a call to live for him wholeheartedly. And in light of what Jesus has done, is that not the response we ought to have? Let us pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful this morning that you would love us so much that you would send your only son to come and die for us so that whoever might believe in you, whoever might have faith, might have eternal life. And this morning we ask that you would make much of Jesus in our lives, that we would see the sacrifice that Jesus has done on the cross and that you would bear a wonder and an awe that you would love us so much 
Lord, we can call this day the remembrance of such a brutal death that you went through, Good Friday, because it is the day that our sins have been forgiven. It is the day that the access into the fullness of God's presence was made. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to live in light of that, to take full advantage of it for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Friday, everyone, and uh, see you on Sunday.